Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Happy New Year to everyone listening. Welcome to a special episode to kick off the Digital HR Leaders podcast for 2021. In 2020, we learned that the field of human resources is even more important than we thought it was, that people analytics can save lives, and that humans and the organisations they work for can adapt quickly in times of crises. What do the events of 2020 mean for HR, though, as we set sail into 2021? I've been publishing an annual set of predictions since 2014, and the show's producer, Ian Bailey, persuaded me that it would be fun to record a special episode of the podcast framed around my predictions for 2021. As you're here, I managed to turn the tables on Ian at several points in the conversation to get his take on a couple of the trends that are destined to set the agenda in 2021. In our conversation, Ian and I discuss whether the future of work has arrived, and if so, does it mean we can actually stop talking about the future of work? We look at why people analytics is set to evolve in 2021 and how it can deliver more value at scale. We look at how skills, learning and careers are coming together and breaking down traditional silos in HR. And we also look at what HR leaders and professionals do to prepare for the future. This episode should be an interesting listen for anyone in a workforce or people analytics role, as well as HR learning and business professionals interested in how HR can drive business outcomes and create valuable experiences for employees. Welcome, everyone. Firstly, Happy New Year. Uh, let's hope 2021 is going to be a much better year than uh, 2020. Um, we're starting off the year with a special episode of the podcast. Um, I'm in a hot seat, believe it or not, uh, going through uh, my predictions for HR in 2021. Uh, so I'm going to turn over now the mic to Ian Bailey, our uh, producer um, and my colleague at Insight 222. Well, thank you, David. Uh, It's a joy to be interviewing you once again and have you in the hot seat. So as you mentioned, you've uh, you've done these predictions for for 2021. You've also created these predictions for HR for for several years now. Uh, Before we get into your latest batch of predictions, I'd love to uh, just challenge you a bit. Like, what's your hit rate been like so far? Do Do you ever get them right? Yeah, well, occasionally, perhaps. I, I, I presume you've been looking at the data here, so you might fire some uh, some stats okay. at me. Um, yeah, I, I think, as you said, I've been doing these uh, since 2014, um, and I think it's probably fair to say uh, that Nostradamus will not be quaking in his celestial boots about my hit rate. Um, however, you know, predicting the future is, is quite difficult. Uh, I think uh, it was Niels Bohr, who's a Danish physicist, uh, who is reputed to have said, and I quote, prediction is very difficult, especially if it's about the future. Um, and I think if 2020 has proved anything, it is difficult, perhaps some would say stupid to try and to try and do so. And, you know, we will probably remember back in January last year, we were we were taking the Insight 222 roadshow around San Francisco and New York. And I don't think any of us realised it was going to be our last trip of the year uh, back in January. So, so why do I do it? Um, well, it's a bit of fun. Um, I hope people do see that in each each year I've done this, uh, uh, there is a little bit of tongue in cheek about some of this. Um, I do it mainly because it helps me learn. It forces me to uh, absorb what's going on, consider uh, and place my bets, as it were. Um, and the third reason is, is kind of a prompt discussion uh, like this. Um, but yes, as you, uh, as you rightly signposted, if I go back over the years, you know, I've got some right a lot more wrong, um, and a few might have to go to VAR. 
Um, but but I did last year say that that Liverpool would win the Premier League. Um, admittedly, I've been saying that for thirty years, but uh, I did get that one right. Well, there we go. It had to happen at some point, I guess, didn't it? Will it happen again in 2021? Oh, Only I yet. think it will, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. All right, so let's let's get back to HR and and let's kick off with the, the first prediction that you have, which was around the future of work. So you, you said the future of work has arrived. Uh, and so does this mean we can stop talking about the future of work now? Well, one would hope so. But um, again, there's definitely an element of tongue in cheek about this, because I guess there's always a future. So uh, there's always a future of work. Um, it's a bit of a nebulous term. I know we've joked about it in the past, um, but it's an important topic. Um, you know, the uh, the latest World Economic Forum future of jobs, I think, highlighted that there's going to be 97 million new jobs will be created by 2025 uh, because of technology and 85 million will be be displaced by automation. So, hey, there's a lot of disruption going on. Um, I think the, the the same the same World Economic Forum report um, highlighted that 50 percent of all employees will require reskilling by 2025. So it's this it's big disruption. You know, whether we call it the fourth industrial revolution, you know, we are in the the early stages of it, and I guess the pandemic has only exacerbated the situation. Um, we again we go if we think from a podcast perspective if we go back to january you'll probably remember ian that we recorded an episode in person with with ravin jesu thazen um he just co-authored a paper again for the world economic forum on on hr 4.0 and he was speaking to us and then he was going off to davos next uh, to the world economic forum where they were where the future of work has been a key topic for a number of years now and you know a lot of what ravin spoke to us about has come to pass this year i think not least one of his uh, six um, priorities for, um, for for HR was that HR needed to help integrate manage the integration of technology into the workplace. You know, I think that's happened a lot quicker in in many in many cases than than people expected. Um, there was an example earlier in the year. I think with Novartis, they had a two year plan to roll out Teams across the organisation. They did it in two weeks. Um, Satya Nadella from from Microsoft, the CEO there. Uh, was talking about some of the, I think it was a quarterly um, review or, or quarterly earnings at, um, call at, at Microsoft. Uh, he talked about they'd seen two years of digital transformation in, in just two months. You know, and if we go back to another conversation on the podcast, um, you know, in the, in the last couple of months, you know, Michael Arena, I think it was, that, that, that said to us that his view is that the pandemic has fast-forwarded the future of work by five or five to ten years. And I think and that really resonated with me, and it's it's certainly what we're hearing a lot from 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 clients we work with at Insight Two Two Two. You know, we're in the middle of the we were in the middle of the biggest remote working um, remote working experiment in history, and you know we're learning new things every day. So I suppose if we just look at, at three things that the the big you know the remote working experiment has has really kind of shone through, I think in the last um, the last year. You know, one is that people can work remotely and they can be just as productive um i think we're going to talk about that a little bit more later but but one thing those managers that feel that people have to be in front of them to work you know i think it's kind of disproved that particular theory i think it's also shown uh, that employee preference is right at the top of the list for considerations for for most companies when it comes to planning for the post-pandemic future and that's that's good that's that's where it should be 
But we don't yet know the medium to long term impact of remote working on innovation and collaboration. Again, if we reference the uh, podcast with Michael Arena, he talked about those critical bridge connections, those those connections that kind of bridge teams together and maybe people that don't collaborate as much together. And those uh, those connections are very important for innovation and collaboration. So, you know, the long term impact of remote working, hybrid working, we don't know yet. So I guess. You know, we, 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 there's lots more to find out on that. So I'm afraid um, I think we'll still be using the future of work term um, in, in one, three, five years time. You know, how does that make you feel? Ian? <laughs> I, I love the term. I love the term. Maybe we need a, a replacement term for it to be more specific because it's uh, it's a pretty, uh, pretty ambiguous term. But if it, yeah, for that reason alone, I th- I'm sure it will keep getting used. Uh, so, so let's kind of think in terms of how this has all impacted HR. Then, as we've we've talked about on the podcast, uh, certainly over the last year or so, the pandemic has has really thrust HR into the spotlight, and we've seen HR step up and and have to respond. And so, what do you think that means for HR in twenty twenty one? Yeah, I think I think the term I used in the article was uh, "all eyes are on HR," uh, which is a term I borrowed uh, from Katerina Berg, Spotify's chief people officer. But I think it really shows that this year of, of all, oh, sorry, twenty twenty of all years was the year that you know senior executives and organisations were looking to HR to help them navigate through the crisis. And in many respects, I think HR has HR has stepped up to the plate. Uh, I think there's countless examples of of how HR has delivered. Um, especially those functions that are well led, um, that have that have strong stakeholder equity, um, that have people analytics teams, um, and have the ability to 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 do continuous listening uh, and do more pulsing with 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 employees that were either you know affected by the pandemic, maybe they were uh, they were critical workers and still having to go into an office or a place of work, or they were suddenly having to work remotely, whether they're they're employees or managers as well, suddenly managers having to manage remote teams um you know i mean again we i think we talked about we've talked about this before you know there's many um many observers of the space have said that the chro is is has almost played the similar role to that the cfo did in the global financial crisis it's a pivotal role uh within the organization and i think that's you know that's good and we've had some powerful examples on the podcast uh, Renil Kumar, remember from Wipro, talked about how suddenly they had to manage 150,000 remote workers in India alone. Um, Chin Yinong from, from Grab was on and, and she told us about how they've been really intentional about helping people collaborate remotely. Um, and then Diane Gerson, of course, um, from IBM or, or then from IBM, talks about how they'd run a company-wide jam to understand employee preferences uh, when it came, um, once it's safe to return to the office. And they'd sound that, you know, certainly an IBM people really appreciate the office as a, as a place to connect and build out their networks and collaborate together. So, you know, there's lots of good work that, that HR is doing. There's been a plethora of studies that I referenced in the article from the likes of Deloitte, Accenture, IBM, uh, the World Economic Forum already talked about on the future of HR. Definitely recommend um, listeners, um, you know, reading those reports. I think there's, there's a lot that you can pull out of those. Um, you know, it, it's clear that HR has a unique role to play. Um, and it's an it's it's an opportunity, I think, for that it needs to grasp with both hands. Um, you know, one of the big features of the, the the pandemic for me has been how many organisations have prioritised employee well being above everything else. I have right to do so, 
Um, and, you know, and hopefully that will continue in the future, that employee well-being, help employee experience, putting the human at the centre um, of thinking when it comes to, to the business will, will, will actually um, carry on. And who better to play that role than HR? Um, but, you know, we've got, you know, we've still got, a, we're going to talk a little bit about HR skills and capabilities, I know, later on. And, you know, HR still, as a profession, has a long way to go to, to, to do that, that. But, you know, they, they've stepped up to the plate in the last year uh, as a function, you know, proud to be part of that, um, a, a part of the field. And, you know, I've got every confidence it will continue to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we've we've also seen and, and you've talked about before as well is the role of people analytics in enabling HR to step up. And in particular, I think where we've seen organizations that had already built a solid foundation in people analytics, they've really been able to accelerate and support the business through this pandemic because data has just been such a critical component, you know, whether it's understanding where the, the virus is and where employees are, are impacted or understanding employee sentiment, how they feel about the new situation, working from home, things like that. So, yeah, how do you see kind of people analytics evolving further in, in 2021? What do you think will, will happen there? Well, in, in all the seven years I've been publishing these predictions, I think I've said that that people analytics will grow significantly in the calendar year that follows. So, uh, yeah, I probably I'm starting to be a bit more right about that than maybe I was back in 2014. Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, the people analytics teams that, that we work with at Insight 222, you know, the vast majority have really stepped up during this crisis and, and supported HR and the business and the workforce um, in, in the response. And, you know, there have been examples, you know, powerful examples, almost how, how it saved lives in, you know, one one of the companies we work with in the US is a pharmaceutical distribution company you know and they they their people analytics team was able to predict within a few days when their distribution warehouse on the east coast of the US was was going to shut uh, because of the virus because of employees being sick frankly um, but they were able to then put contingency plans in place to make sure that pharmacies and and hospitals in that area were were, were supplied with the drugs that they needed so you know you can't get m- much more of a powerful example than that um you know, and, and, and we've certainly seen, you know, when it comes to reimagining what the work, what work on the workplace will look like post pandemic as well. People analytics teams are really at the center of that and certainly analyzing some of the uh, the trends that we talked about earlier around, you know, collaboration and, and innovation and, and productivity, you know, which is always a bit of a nebulous term as well. But understanding how people feel about working from home, what they miss about working from the office and everything else. People analytics teams are and making those insights, you know, um, readable, I guess, for, for executives that have to make decisions about that moving forward. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, actually, we've got the data to back up the fact that people analytics is growing now. So uh, early in the crisis, um, at Insight 222, we had some hypotheses that we wanted to test. One of those was that people analytics was growing. Uh, another was that people analytics is increasingly focused on business topics. Um, and we did we did a study with with sixty global organisations, and the, the report is a, is a, is available to anyone to read. Um, we'll, we'll we'll send out the link um, with the uh, the publicity around this particular episode. Um, and it's interesting, actually, we found that people and we did that research between April and July, so right in the early stages of the pandemic, in many respects. And we found that people analytics teams are growing. Um, over fifty percent had grown in the previous twelve months, and 
just uh, over 60% intend to grow in the next 18 to 24 months. So by the end of 2022, um, we found that interestingly, investment in specialized people analytics technology is also growing as well. And I think over 80% said they're currently using uh, some of those that those technologies all plan to do so in the next 18 months. So, you know, again, technology is an enabler, not the, it's not the, uh, it's not people analytics, but it certainly helps. Um, and we also found that the top area where people analytics is adding value is, is business topics such as sales effectiveness, customer satisfaction, compliance, risk, uh, culture. Um, and then the people related topics that follow were topics that I certainly consider and I think the rest of us consider as being business topics anyway, employee experience, strategic workforce planning, diversity and inclusion. Um, so interesting shift and not something we would have seen a couple of years ago where I think that most of the work and people analytics would have been focused around HR topics. Um, so we would a lot of work around, you know, about recruitment and, and attrition and all those things are important. It's when you actually link them to business top, uh, business priorities. I think it becomes even more so. Um, and it's um, what we what we found as well is that this kind of means that there's a shift in how um, people analytics teams are organizing themselves. And, you know, and that plays to a lot of the work that we do at Insight 222 as well. So, you know, very much if you look at it in, in three areas, so a demand engine consultants really working at the front, front end, working directly with senior stakeholders in the business to identify and prioritize the, the, the key topics that, that the people analytics should be focused on. Then a solutions engine in the middle with, with, with data scientists, analysts, uh, behavioral scientists, um, and, and, and stewards that actually govern the use of people, data and analytics and technology within the organization as well that deliver insights and recommendations. And then a product engine, which I think is something that's quite new in, in most, in, well, in pretty much all organizations except a few, where with designers and product engineers that are kind of putting the user at the center and actually thinking, how can we develop analytics products that people will actually use? How can we make them usable? How can we give insights to the people that are actually providing the data, whether it's employees or, or managers? And how can we actually scale these um, and how can we actually affect change uh, obviously one of a great way of affecting change is actually making them usable so you know there's more in the report obviously but you know I think we'll see more uh, people analytics teams organizing themselves along these lines in, in 2021. Yeah excellent and I think it's great that we're seeing this rise in certainly in the interest for people analytics and it just continues to grow obviously there's huge impact uh, that those teams can have are there any dangers that, that come with that that we've seen uh, as a result of the pandemic, you feel, particularly around, you mentioned this topic of, of productivity, a little bit around governance and, and ethics as well. Uh, I wrote an article last year with Tomas Chomoropo Music around the, the kind of the risks of, of some of this scrutiny that, that's going on around people working from home and a lack of trust, I guess, and, and really wanting to understand productivity yeah, do you, do you see any issues there? Like, how can we get a better handle on making sure that we're not just tracking everything that, that employees do and, and keep keep a grasp of the ethics behind everything, I guess? Yeah, you're right. And, you know, you're very uh, modest because that's a great article that you and Tom Ash put together. Um, it's, I mean, I have seen some rather sinisterly named um, company tech companies out there um, touting around their their employee productivity tools. Uh, I'm not going to name them on on the podcast, but do there's a few named in the article. Um, 
And I, I, this, this is not what people analytics is about. People analytics is not about snooping. People analytics is about providing value and, and, and that's providing value to the workforce as well. Um, for me, ethics is the most important part of people analytics. It, it pretty much has been since I, I got into this space quite a few years ago now. Um, and I know there's a strong focus of the research that, that, that I got involved in at IBM when I was there. You know, if we get it wrong, we could set the field back several years and, and more importantly, lose trust of, 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 of our employees. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not what we want. Um, there is an H in HR and we need to put that to the fore when we're thinking about what people analytics projects we should be doing and which ones we shouldn't. Um, so that's why, you know, governance features prominently in, in the operating model that, we've, that, that we were just talking through. And also, as you know yourself, Ian, because you, you led the project, you know, when we set up Inside 222, what, three years ago now, the first co-creation that we did with 15 organisations was to create an ethics charter, an ethics charter to govern the use of people, data and analytics within the organisation. And, and a big part of that ethics charter, and you, you can certainly speak to it as well, is, is about being transparent. It's about providing value um, to um, employees. And, you know, maybe a good way of looking at it is if you asked by an employee in a canteen okay so you're not going to be asked in the canteen if you're asked by an employee on zoom or teams um about the people analytics projects that you're working on at the moment um and you feel that you can't describe a project or if you saw that details of that project in the new york times and that doesn't make that makes you feel uncomfortable then maybe you shouldn't be doing that um so i i certainly think having an ethics charter in place is is, is really really important um but we know from research that we've done that, you know, less than a third of companies have an ethics charter in place for people analytics. And because the field is developing so fast, because there's so much that we could do, I think it's 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 an important um, foundational element um, to build capability, to build an, a sustainable capability that delivers value. So. So, yeah, I, I, I do think it's something that that we should be. I don't know if there's anything from the ethics charter that you think listeners will be interested in, Ian? Well, I think it is just that foundation of trust, right? I couldn't agree more. And I think what we've seen, you know, we've actually seen a few articles as well uh, in the last kind of six months or so, more in the mainstream press that are starting to kind of suggest some of the, the big brother kind of snooping aspects going on. And I think some of them justifiably, when you talk about some of the, the tools that, that you mentioned, that to be honest, are a little bit worrying, uh, but actually some maybe not not so much where they're scaremongering a little bit. And I think there's a there's a real risk that if we don't have that transparency and trust in place, that that type of conversation will will escalate, I think. And overall, there will be a, a larger amount of fear around the type of work that people analytics teams are doing. And, and I think the ethics charter or, or something similar is a great way of doing that. And I think just always making sure that you are thinking about the employee and, and putting the individual at the center of everything that you do. And, and the, the, the work ultimately should benefit employee and the business and, and everyone. Right. Um, and I guess, so, so with that uh, shifting topics slightly, but kind of building on that theme of productivity, I think the, the other side of the coin to that, that we've seen has been around the impact of this last year on, on well-being and, and risks of burnout as well. I think many people have enjoyed the flexibility of working from home uh, and being remote and what that's meant. You know, uh, others have really struggled with it. I think if you don't have a separate space to work in, 
certainly when we were in full lockdown and schools aren't open and you're managing childcare, things like that as well. I think it's a lot for people to, to manage. And so as we come out of this, hopefully at some point in 2021, and we consider what that hybrid world looks like, I'm sure there will be elements of, of that flexibility that, that people are looking to, to retain. But yeah, what are, what are some of your predictions around how some of that will evolve, particularly when we think about well-being and, and culture and, and maybe even how we think about the impact on employee experience as well, if we continue that theme of really trying to put the individual at the center of what we're doing? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, just to highlight that it does seem that a lot of organizations have been putting employee well-being at the, the center of their response um, to the pandemic. And, you know, there's a hope that that will continue into 2021 as we move hopefully through the vaccine and, and, and get back to whatever is next, because it clearly things aren't going to go back the same as they were before. Um, well, at least I don't think they will. Um, you know, I think I think companies are going to have to juggle a lot, though. And I think in many respects, we're still learning. We're learning now and we're going to be learning throughout this year as well. You know, there's a lot of considerations, you know, firstly, employee health and safety. That's got to be paramount. Um, you know, we're currently in the throes of another lockdown in the UK at the moment. So, uh, you know, it's thinking about going even going into the office at the moment. We can't do that. You know, so, um, you know, impossible to predict in, in many respects. Um and, you know, and also maybe a question is, you know, does HR have to play a role or will it play a role in the rollout of vaccine, particularly in large companies? You know, are we going to get to a point where, you know, people people will be free to move, freer to move around if they've had the vaccine or not? I mean, who knows? I mean, that's getting into all sorts of ethical conversations, which we're not going to cover here. As you said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm quite lucky. I live in a village, um, albeit in Kent, which is obviously the epicenter of the last heat outbreak. Um, my wife doesn't work. Um, you know, my kids have mostly been at school. I've got great broadband. I've got my own office. Um, I can work. It's not been that bad for me in in that respect. You know, um, it's a bit lonely sometimes, obviously, but you know, but yeah, you know, imagine if I go back twenty years, I would have been flat sharing um, in London. Um, with three or three three other people, you know that must be, you know that must be a, a not a great experience to be perfectly honest. So you can understand why people are, are keen <laughs> to have the opportunity to to go back to the office. And obviously, as you said, Ian, much worse if you've got to juggle childcare as well. If kids aren't at school, or or or, or, or you're a single parent, and, and as well, or, or even both parents working. So there's all sorts of different things that we need to think about. Um, the studies out there suggest that we're all working longer hours. Oh, those of us, well, not all of us, but in, in the majority of us are working longer hours, more evenings, more weekends. We're not taking breaks. We're not taking time off. Um, we've seen companies that, you know, who are giving more leave to people. Uh, we've seen companies giving Fridays off because they recognise that people are working harder. Um, the home has become the office. So how sustainable is all this in the long time? Probably not that sustainable, as you say, and I think we'll start to see the impact and in, in, in things like burnout and, and 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 mental health and all these other things that you know we need to be really be paying attention to. Um, I think I think what, what where this will play out. So let's say that we are in the world now where post vaccine, um, we're not hearing about any more outbreaks, um, we're not hearing about new strains, um, and we 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 can potentially you know go back to the office. I think we'll start to view the office with um, 
with rose-tinted glasses, maybe the commute won't seem as bad as it was because we'll be able to go back and connect with people, have more serendipitous encounters, you know, and and actually collaborate on stuff. So that's that's way I, I think it goes. And I think some will some will want a more hybrid existence than they had before, and some will be quite happy to work remotely. So I think for in, for companies to manage all those different preferences. But then also think about how we're actually going to deliver on the requirements of the business. So it's going to be quite confusing. And I think, you know, the more we speak to, to, to our employees and listen to them, um, the more we use analytics to understand the impacts of different types of working on, on different important elements, such as collaboration and innovation, the better. Um, and then we can start to, to shape the future around data, um, which I think would be a, a good way of doing it. Yeah, and just a quick question on that, actually. What are some of the best examples you've seen of how companies are, you know, continuously pulsing their employees and, and making sure that they're they're really understanding the views of their employees as things are changing so quickly? Well, I think I think out there, you know, and it's been written about in a number of areas, Microsoft actually have a, a daily pulse. Um, I think it goes randomly to, to uh, two and a half thousand employees. I think it is every day. Um, they're not, you know, and Microsoft and other companies like IBM are looking at different signals uh, to listen to, 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 to what employees are, are feeling. Um, they're using those to, to make decisions um, and they're communicating that out, I think, to, to people as well. So I think that's important. Um, you know, we, we had a great article on the Microsoft Future blog from, from Rabobank uh, around how they've been how they've been pulsing their um, employees um, regularly during the pandemic, certainly in the early stages of the pandemic, I think it was back in sort of up to sort of June time. Um, and actually the questions that were being asked were being shaped by what people were saying and that was driving actions and that was driving communication. Uh, and they were getting some really interesting findings around, you know, what people liked and what they didn't like about working from home. So I think the more you do that, the better because then you get that you understand how how employees feel you understand the pros and cons of, of of remote working you start to understand what people like about the office i mean we had diane uh, gerson on from our, um uh, then at ibm didn't we on the podcast um back in september she talks about the company-wide jam they've done to understand what employee preferences would be when they came back to the office and they found you know some things that really helped them in terms of actually a lot of people, particularly those that wanted to build their network out within IBM, were looking for, to progress their career within IBM, wanting to get back into the office, you know, when, when it was safe to do so. They found that others that were maybe later in career were quite happy to work predominantly remotely. And, and it's, it's, it's finding things like, out like that which can help us as HR professionals shape how work and the workplaces and, and ways of working will, will be in the future. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's some good examples out there. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the trends that I'm sure you you did predict for 2020 was just around the the focus on career development um and how that is evolving. Uh we I think we've had people talking about skills for for quite some time. It feels like it's been a hot topic for a while and yet companies are still grappling with it. IBM is a great example where actually they've they've been working on it for quite some time and and are able to to really do a lot with inference of skills and and things like that. What have you seen uh, play out over the last year, and and what how do you think this will evolve further into twenty twenty one around that topic of skills and career progression? 
particularly the rise of talent marketplaces that we're now seeing, and I guess the 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 rise of talent mobility uh, that has happened, internal talent mobility. When we think about how some companies have had to reduce their external recruitment efforts as a result of the pandemic, yeah, it's interesting. I think there's other studies out there, and you know, both with inside companies and and wider external ones that show that actually hiring internally pays off in terms of it's, it costs less, generally speaking. Uh, the time to productivity is obviously a lot shorter. Um, you know, those people understand your culture and already have networks established within those organizations so they can kind of hit the ground running. Um, and clearly there's going to be, you know, recruitment budgets, um, you know, going to be slashed in, in lots of organizations, I think, you know, into 2021. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm certainly going to turn this question back to you, Ian, um, at some point, because I know this is a, an area of, of a, a, you're very knowledgeable about, but also passionate about as well. Um, it's when I did last year's predictions, actually skills and learning were separate. Um, and we talked about how learning was, was increasingly shifting towards personalized on demand, um, multi-channel. And that's still the case. And it's accelerated clearly in 2020 for, for obvious reasons. Um, and that in terms of skills, as the, I think, I think I might have borrowed your term of skills as a new currency and, um, you know, we were seeing, uh, and certainly I'm going to ask you in another minute, actually, around how a lot of strategic workforce planning was skill, was, was moving to more skills-based way of doing it. Um, but I think we're seeing it come together. Um, so skills, careers and learning is kind of coming together and maybe talent marketplace is the, you know, the result of that. Um, but that's good because that means we're breaking down silos that have been in HR for, for a long time. And I know it's some, certainly something that, that Diane referred to when she was on the podcast talking about the work they've done at IBM, um, which I definitely recommend those listening. Check out that episode if you haven't already. You know, IBM have inferred skills of, of all 350,000 plus employees. Um, they actually, 80% of those IBM have said that though that inference was 100% correct, which is, which is staggering. Um, and, you know, it takes out some of that bias associated with asking people what their own skills are. Um, and the way they've linked it with uh, learning um, and careers is, 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 is pretty impressive. Um, and they're not the only company doing it. Um, you know, we had Novartis and Ericsson on the podcast earlier this year as well. And, the, and the, they were talking about how they were doing, uh, moving towards similar, um, similar ideas and similar programs as well. So, so, yeah, I, I do think we're going to hear more about Talent Marketplace. I know the vendors that are in that space are growing very fast. You know, Degreed we had on the, the podcast, I think they hired several hundred more people during the pandemic. We know we've got Gloat, I think, are sponsoring a podcast this year. Um, they're growing very fast as well. So it's definitely an area of interest. But I'm going to turn it to you, Ian, because I know back in your corporate days, um, you essentially created a, a it's almost a talent marketplace 1.0 uh, um, in, in, in your company at the time and, and to try and link careers, learning and workforce planning together. What are you seeing and how do you see it panning out in the next 12 months? Yeah, thanks for turning the question back. To <laughs> Luckily, you did warn me. Uh, I think I think it's really interesting. I think it's a topic that, to be honest, when we started looking at it, at Cisco, I think it was pretty early stages, and I think it it what made sense to Cisco at that time because of the business challenges the company was going through didn't necessarily apply to to every other company out there. Whereas now, I think more and more this is becoming a more 
pressing issue. The companies need to be able to really understand the talent that they have inside their company and also really better understand the, the talent outside, but also when they think about demand, it's the same thing. They need to be able to articulate that better, right? Really be clear around critical roles and emerging skills and all these types of things. And again, understand what that means for them in terms of their own strategy and how that's going to play out, what they need, but also where what the best solution is to, to get that talent, whether it is building it, if it is to, to buy it in, to hire it, then where can they find those pools of talent? If those pools of talent don't exist, then yeah, they need to build it internally instead. And and it, it is the age-old workforce planning conversation, but I think getting that next layer of information really around skills, really understanding the work that people are doing, and thinking more about the impact of things like automation and AI and how that's going to shift, not necessarily entire jobs, although it will impact whole jobs, but pieces of jobs where those can be automated and, and again, how that changes then what that role is going to look like in the future and who should be doing that role. And so I think all of this is playing out in real time. I think it's becoming more and more important uh, and the more and more conversations that we have with companies, we're hearing people talk about it more and more. I think there's a few things that are really challenging with it. Is, is One is it's incredibly complex and really difficult. It's very easy to say, we want to know the skills of our workforce, or we want to you know, have a skill-based workforce planning process, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly hard to do. And, and I think the other thing that's really interesting, you mentioned earlier, the fact that last year, maybe you said that, that skills and careers were, were kind of separate, or skills and learning uh, were, were separate, and now it's all coming together. I think that's great, and I think that's really important. Because I think we have thought about this uh, historically in silos. And so you've had talent acquisition or recruitment thinking about what they're trying to do with the external hiring problems that they're trying to solve. And a lot of recruitment teams still don't actually do anything to do with internal hiring. Um, some do, but, but a lot still don't. And so having recruitment think about external talent and internal talent is, is a shift. Uh, having the learning organization thinking about it in the way that they're thinking about building skills. But again, if they're just thinking about that in a silo, then it's not connecting to workforce planning. It's not connecting to recruitment. It's not connecting to career. And so turning all of this on its head and really saying, well, what is it that the individuals care about? What is it that the employees think about? They're thinking about their careers. And when they think about their careers, they're thinking about the job they're in today in a company they're thinking about the job they want to do in the future, you know, whenever that might be. They're thinking about short-term skills they want to build. They're thinking about longer-term skills they want to build. They're thinking about career more generally, and they're trying to have those conversations with managers. And so it touches all aspects of HR. And I guess this is where it then becomes really complex, because actually there isn't one tool out there that does all of this. You know, that's a question we get asked a lot, which is what's the best platform to do this with? And unfortunately, the answer is, well, there's, there's several and it depends on what you're trying to do. And I think if we were building all of this from scratch today, then you'd build something very different to the technology landscape that exists out there because of the way that tech has, has evolved, we have siloed solutions and they've been targeted 
at siloed HR, where the buyer is the head of recruitment or the head of learning. And so I think we need to get more sophisticated as an HR organization in terms of how we think about buying the technology. And I think what's great is we are now seeing the, the tech providers becoming less point solutions and thinking more across all of the different problems that, that they're trying to solve. So I think it's a really exciting time because I think it's really starting to gain traction. And, and it, yeah, it's, it's one of your predictions I'm pretty confident about we are going to see uh, play out in 2020. Yeah, and it's interesting, actually, because several of the PFA analytics teams uh, that we're working with um, are starting to get responsibility for technology. You know, not necessarily the core HR, but certainly these PFA analytics technologies, if you want to call them that, which would include some of these uh, systems. And, and, and uh, so they're, they're, they're kind of getting that view there and they're asking the question is, the de- they're asking that data question before the companies bought the, the technology. So that's where you can start to link because ultimately what's starting to gel these traditional silos together is data, isn't it? In many respects, it's that skills data that is kind of linking everything together, whether that's for, for learning, whether that's for careers, whether that's for workforce planning. So it's... Uh, it's an interesting time and it kind of links again towards employee experience because, you know, what is employee experience? I guess it's about finding personalized experiences at the right time and the right moment. And, you know, as an employee, if you're being getting recommendations about learning that actually are relevant, then that's a great, that's a great thing. And again, that helps employee experience and, 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 and the organization as well. So yeah, exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, HR is having to build a new muscle as a result of this, which is stepping out of those those silos. I think we heard Diane talk about kind of how she's thought about bringing different groups together. But I think with that, it it touches on the the skills that HR needs to build as well. You know, one skill that that we talk about a lot with the work that we do with My HR Future is is just the importance of stakeholder management. Like, of course, HR has had to do this before. You know, same with consulting and influencing. Of course, it's been a, a core skill, but it's it's probably more important than ever now yeah. because of that myriad of different stakeholders, both within HR and outside of HR, that we're seeing, you know, various roles in HR now needing to to navigate. And I think it is the the complexity of that that is is actually, you know, really difficult. And and therefore there are new skills that 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 need to, to be built or, you know, a higher proficiency in those skills needs to be built. So, so I guess kind of with that, what else do you think um, HR will, will need to do to support some of these changes that, that we're seeing and that we've talked about as 2021 progresses? Like how can HR keep evolving to, to adapt and support the business as it needs to? Yeah, and, and, and we've already said, you know, it's, it's a really exciting time to be in HR. Um, probably the most exciting time since I kind of got into it in the late 1990s. Um, and, you know, the, and the pandemic has really highlighted the importance of the function. So it's almost like, okay, good. Now, where do we go from here? Um, you know, I know I'm preaching to the converted in and, and you know, it, HR must become more digital, more agile and more data literate, and it needs to focus on delivering value to the business and the workforce and, and those attributes will help it to do so. Um, the good news is that research, the, the research we've done says that HR professionals recognize this and want to develop these skills. And if anything, it's sometimes it's, it's their organizations that are holding them back. Um, so, again, we ran we ran the HR skills, the future research. I think it was 
2019 now, but the six skills that emerged were quite interesting, actually, because still relevant now. Two very much on data topics, people analytics and strategic workforce planning. Two around employee experience, so the kind of digital HR and digital HR technology and design thinking. Uh, and then two on change, as you said, consulting and influencing and stakeholder management. So, and interestingly, and I actually ran that question at um, a gathering of 450 HR professionals just a few weeks ago. And again, people analytics emerged as number one. There might be a little bit of bias when I'm asking the question. I don't know. <laughs> but, but even so, but it's it's interesting that, that you know, HR professionals recognize and they want to learn. Uh, and we know that from the traffic that we get, you know, on the podcast and, 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 and in the academy as well. But what I'd, I'd actually really like, because obviously you're more involved in building out the academy and, and, and thinking around what what facets it needs, you know, what is really, from your experience, what is resonating with HR professionals and HR leaders about preparing the HR function for the future? Yeah, and, and I think you're right. I think there is a massive interest around analytics. Obviously, all of those skills are, are super important, but certainly the hottest topic still seems to be around people analytics. I think we've talked about this before. We don't expect uh, all HR professionals to become data scientists, but there is a foundational level of knowledge which I think is becoming increasingly essential for anyone in HR to to really build and then I think on top of that it's it's really the practical application of that knowledge so yes understanding statistics at a basic level or yes being able to manipulate dashboards things like that those are fundamental skills that that are super helpful but actually, how do you have that data-driven conversation with the business, with a manager? How do you ask the right questions up front to actually make sure you're really getting to the, the heart of the problem that you're trying to solve? You know, build a hypothesis. Take that to the people analytics team. Again, you don't necessarily need to do the analysis yourself. Uh, and, and hopefully you can self-serve some of the information via dashboards and things like that. And, and that's the bit in the middle. But then... I think what we're also seeing is a real interest in skills like storytelling. So it's one thing to get a load of charts or or get a load of data, but actually how do you translate that into insights, tell a story back to the business that's going to lead them to take action. And, And I think with that, we're seeing a lot of companies talk at the moment about building confidence as much as they're building capability. And so how can we really build confidence in HR professionals that they feel okay doing this work, that they feel okay having conversations about data and they feel confident having those types of conversations with the business. And it's okay that they're probably going to get it wrong a bit too. And, and that's that's all right. And, and that's how you learn. And so I think it is that practical application. I think as much as we are obviously encouraging people to take training courses and do training, a lot of the work that, that we do with companies is also around helping them put that into practice you know how do you really apply that learning and and that's still just such a fundamental element that that we need to build in so so yeah those are some of the main areas that that i think are popping up yeah and i think it's interesting because it's about people analytics teams and and their hr colleagues working together you know and and that that might mean as you said the first time that you have to present a story using data is going to be daunting isn't it i guess you know and you but you have to practice you have to apply it so having the people analytics leader or, or consultant in the room with you probably is going to help there. Uh, and maybe you do it together. 
Uh, and then maybe next time, you know, if you're an HR business partner, you you lead out on it and stuff like that. So, so but yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting is when I speak to HR business partners who either are data savvy or, or, or who have taken the time to learn, the feedback that they provide about how it helps them in their day-to-day work is is quite, you know, quite astounding really i mean it, it, it it's it's powerful um and and i think it's you know if, if you're an hr business partner listening to this and you're nervous about taking that step it, it's worth doing so uh it, it's definitely worth doing so and there are you know plenty of tools out there to help you to do that and you'll probably find that your people analytics uh colleagues are are, are, are willing to help you to, to to make that step as well absolutely and i think it it absolutely changes that conversation then that you can have with that business leader. And I think we were talking about workforce planning earlier as well. And I think it's another great example where actually being able to have a much more thoughtful data-driven conversation around the business strategy and what that then means when it comes to the workforce strategy and how you can then source the right data to to really bring back to the business to, to have a richer conversation about talent supply and demand, all of these things, again, it, it takes uh, additional knowledge to be able to do that. It is a capability building exercise, but then the conversation that comes out of that is so much more valuable uh, for the business. And that's ultimately where we're trying to get to. All right. So let's move on to the last question, because uh, I think you constantly shame me at the end of these podcasts by saying that your producer will get all mad at you for you know running too long. And so uh, I think I should probably heed your usual advice there, which is we need to wrap the conversation up. So one last uh, question for you, uh, which is uh, you in your predictions for 2021 in the article, you deliberately left two two gaps at the end and, and crowdsourced uh, the last two predictions. I'm not sure if that's because you just ran out or if you <laughs> if you really wanted to to hear from your audience. But I'd love to just hear. There's been quite a lot of conversation on that LinkedIn post. There's been a lot of great suggestions. So uh, just quickly in the last few minutes, kind of what stood out for you around some of the other suggestions uh, from your audience? Well, the first thing to say is I actually wanted to hear what other people thought. Um, rather than I'd run out of ideas, um, although you know maybe maybe they could run out after a while. Um, well, the first thing to say is I've been blown away by the response. Actually, um, the number of people who've taken the time to suggest what trend eleven, trend twelve should be, and not just the number, but the quality of the suggestions as well. Um, you know, so thank you to everyone that's taken the time to to participate. Um, actually, by the time this podcast goes out on the fifth of January. Um, I will have had to make that decision around what the additional two that I'm going to add. Um, but I'm going to sit on the fence because I haven't made that decision at the moment. But there are so many good ideas out there. Um, you know, so one that really stands out, perhaps um, not surprisingly, is from Dave Orich um, around guidance. And, and again, those of you listening to this on the 5th of January, Dave's actually going to come back on the podcast um, next week um, as we really kick off uh, 2021 with a special. Uh, on the future of HR. Um, and actually, Dave's episode, I think, Ian, is still the most listened to episode we've ever had of the of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. So his suggestion about guidance is really interesting. It's about how HR can help guide uh, decision-making in organisations in the areas of talent, leadership and organisation around the, the outcomes that provide the biggest, well, about the biggest outcome for the business, i.e. 
you know, if I'm going to invest X amount of dollars in talent, if I invest it in these three areas, these are the areas that the data tells me that will have the biggest return, the biggest return for the business, for the customers, for the workforce and, and for other stakeholders uh, in the business. And I think that's where we've, we really want HR to get to. It's almost like the next step for HR is, you know, you talked about dashboards. It's, it's not just about looking at what's happened. It's about looking what could happen and how we can affect what happens by making the right decisions. So I think that area of prediction, I think, is, you know, you know, without, without a pun, predictive prediction and predictive going together there, I think will be really interesting. Um, but, yeah, there, there are loads of good ideas. So I'm going to have a, you know, over the Christmas holiday, you know, I'll, I'll have a, a mince pie and a and a glass of uh, a glass of red as I as I make the decision on what those two should be. Very nice, very nice. Sounds like a tough job ahead of you. All right. Well, thank you, David, for uh, sharing your thoughts and going into more detail on your predictions for 2021. It's been a, a pleasure talking through this with you. Any final thoughts before we uh, sign off for this episode? Well, I need to really say that. You know, it's not a thought or a prediction. It's just to say, I really hope that the vaccine rollout works, that it comes quickly. And at some point in 2021, we'll stop hearing about lockdowns and, and mutant strains. And we'll start talking about seeing people again and getting together and having those serendipitous encounters at conferences that, that I really, really miss. So it's just to wish everyone well for 2021, health to you and your family and colleagues. And uh, let's hope we get back to some sort of normality by the end of the year. Absolutely. That is a prediction that I really hope uh, comes true. All right. Thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe by your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show in your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week where we have a real treat to kick off Series 11. We've assembled a panel to discuss the future of HR with Dave Orich, Bridget McInnes-Day, who leads HR at Google Cloud, and Rupert Morrison, the CEO at Orgview. So you won't want to miss that. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.